of 105. She was an outspoken civil rights activist who worked as a social worker led to Maryland's Child Protective Service Agency. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. The new book, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free. When I first came to Brookhaven Town, there was no good music to be heard around. Then one day I turned on the dial. There I found music to make me smile. I waited for a legal ID. The DJ said WUSB. They start each day with the rising sun. Don't ever finish till after day is done. So if you want good music to hear, there's a station in Stony Brook you ought to hear. So if you like the sounds, do take a look. At WUSB Stony Brook. There are actually uh, two stations in Stony Brook you ought to hear, uh, 90.1 FM and 107.3 FM. And it's 6 o'clock on a Tuesday, which means it's time once again for another edition of Off the Wall.
A very good evening to everybody. The program is Off the Wall. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you. If you turn down the music a little bit. Thank you. Sorry, I, I don't mean to snap. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're volunteers, but they, they could do better. So consistent. Uh, yeah. Um, I, oh, I'm sorry. The other voice is Kyle. Uh, yes, welcome. I'm Kyle. Hi. Uh, this is Off the Wall, uh, here for another uh, Tuesday evening um, smorgasbord of uh, various things going on in the world, our v- perceptions. V- and variety, so to speak. Uh-huh. Yeah. A variety hour. Yeah. I guess that's one way to say it. Entertainment for, for the folks. Um, people driving, people flying, people, um, you know, individual pilots. You're not supposed to listen on a commercial flight, but a, a, a licensed pilot could listen to us if, was, if they're within range. I was just going to suggest, if you are driving a car, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. give your horn a test. Just a nice little beep. You know, we used to do that um, until we were told to stop. Uh, we, we, would, we would advise cars on campus to blow their horn as they pass by the Union Building. And we'd actually be outside and we'd hear them do that. Um, and that, then, then the cop car came and blew its siren, and we stopped. Okay, so if you're a pilot, uh-huh. uh, go ahead and give give a nice little friendly tap on the horn. Yeah, uh, do they have horns? Why wouldn't they have horns? I mean, if if something's in the way of a plane, you you you'd want to tell somebody, right? It's, Easily, it's not yeah. you know it's not much that okay. Well, we can we can make our suggestions later on what airplanes should have, especially if they don't signal. Um, well, okay, so we have um, a Speaker of the House, finally, after, after what, what a circus that was last week. Oh, my God, C-SPAN was awesome. They, they were, I, you know, I think, and I suggested this on Twitter, that they should make a new Emmy category just for the C-SPAN cameras that were in existence last week. It's bizarre how it works. Um, usually, um, because there's a Speaker of the House, which there is right now, Kevin McCarthy is now the Speaker of the House, he tells C-SPAN, don't do that. Don't don't use your own cameras. Just use the cameras that we. I'm not sure when that conversation happens. Maybe it didn't happen, but you know they're they're basically following the rules now, where they can only show certain things. It's very you know Politburo-ish, where you just get the official government version. But when there wasn't the Speaker of the House, i.e., last week, they could they could shoot anything they wanted, and they did. They they were they were showing people. Uh, in the aisles, they were showing congressmen talking with other congressmen. They showed a, a, almost a fist fight at one point. None of that we would have seen had the the government rules been in effect. So it was just incredibly educational, fascinating to watch, history that will last forever. Certainly. the um, I guess it would be best live online production uh Short or series, I guess. I don't know what it was. Special, well, special for, event. For camera work particularly, because that was damn good camera work. Excuse well, you, me, but that was damn good camera work. You absolutely don't get that unless someone uh, is watching and directing which to, um, to show online or, or mm-hmm. on air, as it were, at various points. So that, that was just uh, so important to the process because it sheds light on what we're stepping into as far as the people's house and uh, representation. Oh, we're stepping into it, all right. Uh, it's going to take a while to clean this mess off. Um, what is what is in charge now is kind of, it's frightening, because uh, McCarthy had to give up so much to get that position, give up so much to the hard right. They even have Republicans nervous about this. Me, I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, I'm just sitting back and watching just the craziness that they're going to come up with. And they are going to come up with some crazy stuff. You know, I, I, I feel a little bit secure because the Senate is secure, all right, from the loonies. 
and we have a, a president that isn't going to be intimidated by them. So that, those are good things. They still will be able to um, come up with ridiculous um, uh, panels and investigatory bodies, uh, and, and, and they'll be able to shut down other investigative bodies that um, uh, are important. You know, I, I think they're just digging their own graves at this point. Um, and in a couple of years, people will say, wow, we don't want any more of that. I mean, it's got, you know, look at George Santos as a microcosm of the House of Representatives. People realize now, wow, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have elected this guy. He's a liar. He's, he's wanted for crimes in Brazil. Uh, there was nothing honest about him. We have to get rid of him. And there are people not figuring out how to do that, both legally and illegally. But, not, you know, we're focusing on the legal aspects of getting rid of somebody that should never have been elected in the first place because he lied to everybody. Um, so that is a microcosm. That's a guy that uh, is, is going to be looked back upon as a mistake. And um, I think a lot of people in the House will also be seen in that way, or the House in general, when they accomplish absolutely nothing and, and, and just waste everybody's time and, and, and make us the laughingstock of the world. Certainly, and the, um, the contrast to what kinds of behavior um, a lot of them were engaged in uh, uh, previously um, and during this process is uh, not really becoming the kind of uh, leadership we should have. And, uh, yeah, it just it's going to be a lot of grandstanding and a lot of um, sanctimonious um, crap to to try to drum up um, uh, outrage and so forth. But as I said, the conduct that they'll be uh, accusing Democrats of in many ways is hypocritical and will be a sort of um, a deflection or misdirection of, of their own actions. I mean, basically, a lot of the things that um, they'll try to dredge up, specifically with this uh, Biden documents thing. Oh, I'm getting to that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It's it's hilarious. But those kinds of things where they don't really have the ground to, to be pointing out and criticizing um, in Trump's case. You know, he has much more in the way of documents that uh, people want to know about. And uh, yet the uh, uh, current president uh, finds some stuff during a uh, relocation and uh, – and relinquishes it, he's now uh, up to something, me, and they me, want to investigate, but they don't. That. That's, that's on our agenda. We'll get, we'll get to, the, to that particular story. My point is there there's um, a lot more uh, that they've to answer for mm -hmm. than they will um, have us believe. And that I think this is really where I'm going and, and kind of where you started. I think what a lot of the hard, far uh, hardliners were... Um, we're negotiating for is protection. Mm -hmm. I think they oh, yeah. they want only investigations of Democrats, and they absolutely want anything that comes close to Matt Gates or anything about insurrection. They want it all like basically shielded by the other representatives, like in a unified way, so that they like it's they they think that they'll be protected in like an airtight way somehow because. They're in control of the House now. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if Matt Gates has as many friends in the Republican Party as he started out with. I, I think, you know, if if uh, if, if, if something uh, happened to him that, that uh, basically got him out of power or just uh, uh, made to be completely um, uh, ineffectual, they wouldn't complain. I think a lot of Republicans now realize this guy is just an albatross around our necks. Um, and you know his actions during uh, during the whole um, um, <laughs> series of, of uh, votes 
uh, last week, uh, that, that was enough to, um, uh, to prove that. Um, Think about how many other votes during normal sessions the Republicans would have to fight him over in, in much the same way. Um, and that's untenable. Like, you can't actually have a coalition if people um, at every turn have uh, uh, these special requests and, and demands and um, uh, or they just want to obstruct and not allow anything to happen because they had a certain uh, agenda or, or um, initiative that wasn't getting the attention and, and so forth. They, uh, speaking of George Santos, though, um, they say that uh, he, you know, that, that, that hands gesture that's used by the far right, uh, you know, kind of like the OK symbol or whatever. Uh, they say he displayed that uh, <laughs> while he was um, uh, voting on the House floor on Thursday evening. And there's pictures of this. Uh, he is seen raising his, his right hand to vote for uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy uh, to become the next Speaker of the House. And with the uh, left hand. Uh, Santos forms an OK sign often used by white supremacists and other far-right groups. Uh, a Santos aide presented with the photo outside Santos's congressional office refused to answer questions from Newsday about the hand gesture and shut the door in the reporter's face when pressed for comment. Okay, you know, I'm not in the, um, in the business of giving free advice to um, lying congressmen and their, their, uh, their staff. But my suggestion, if um, a reporter comes up to you and asks, uh, "What uh, is this a racist symbol uh, that uh, this congressman is, is giving that's captured on photo and being distributed all around the world? The correct response is not to slam the door in the reporter's face. The correct response, bear with me, um, is something along the lines of, <laughs> really, you think that's a, that, that's, that's a far-right racist white supremacist symbol? No, of course not. That's just, it's an okay symbol. Don't like, help you're, them. You're, you're being Don't so, help them. No, they've already dug their own graves. Yeah. So I'm just, this is the, the, the post-mortem here. So basically, it's common sense. It's common sense. That's how you answer the question. But by shutting the door in the reporter's face... That's a lack of media training. And I know it's Newsday, but I hope there's video of it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that doesn't make you look good. Mm-mm, does not make you look like uh, somebody who... volumes. It sure does. Oh, boy. They're, they're just so bad at what they do. They really are. Um, now, today, um, a pair of House Democrats filed and hand-delivered to that very same office um, a complaint urging the Ethics Committee to open an investigation into allegations that the freshman congressman failed to file timely, accurate, and complete financial disclosure reports. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Representatives Richie Torres and Daniel Goldman, both Democrats of New York, filed the ethics complaint against Santos today and delivered a copy of the six-page document to the New York Republicans' congressional office. Goldman knocked on Santos's door and entered the office, leaving the complaint on a desk inside. Somehow the door was not slammed on his face. Uh, in order to safeguard the integrity of federal ethics laws and the House of Representatives itself, we respectfully request that you immediately undertake a full investigation into this matter of George Santos's failure to timely and accurately file financial disclosure reports and promptly take all other necessary steps to seek appropriate penalties and corrective action, the complaint reads. Lawmakers allege that Santos, who was sworn into Congress early Saturday morning, uh, violated the Ethics and Government Act for not filing accurate and complete financial disclosure reports on time. Um, 
the uh, congressman, um, the, the, the two congressmen who delivered this, uh, zeroed in on a number of allegations regarding the con- uh, congressman's financial records, including his failure to file financial disclosure forms before the GOP primary, uh, whether he reported interest income properly, and if he engaged in fraudulent activity through his company, known as the DeVolder Organization. Uh, the complaint, and, and get this, the complaint brings attention to Santos's disclosure that he earned more than $1 million in dividends from DeVolder per, uh, each year, per year, noting that the financial data company, Dun & Bradstreet, you might have heard of them, estimates that company that he makes more than $1 million in dividends per year from had a revenue last year of $43,688. So whatever they're doing, I want to know their secret. <laughs> And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. This guy is going to be um, uh, relentlessly bombarded with investigations and questions. And, you know, that door is going to see a lot of action. My my reaction is just the the um, astonishment that politicians these days think that uh, that running and being in office is not uh, a, a situation that is going to hold you up to much scrutiny. They think, or or that it is not a tripwire. Like you're ed- entering into public service. Okay, that is exactly the kind of um, um, thing that uh, the former president thought. Well, it doesn't matter because I'm president. Mm-hmm. No, actually, the very thing you think is going to give you all this power is actually going to hold you up to a lot more scrutiny and uh, is essentially like a honeypot for your ill will. Mm-hmm. Like, all the temptation that ever uh, is there when you are given power or when you step into power mm-hmm. is still there. The temptation is there. Um, the, the thought that, oh, just by virtue of ascension to that office, I'm somehow not culpable or there won't be any oversight or scrutiny or questions. And um, I think the, the corrupting influence was their hedge that, or their, um, their kind of, uh, uh, their secret weapon of, of basically flooding the institution with more corruption, contrary to the whole swamp thing, but mm-hmm. the, uh, the flood of people who will turn a blind eye. And I really don't think the newer generations of people coming in that have been voted there sincerely by grassroots and, you know, other kinds of supporters. Uh, I don't think they're going to uh, step into that level of corruption as, as easily and comfortably because there's a real sense that uh, politics has to be cleaned up and they're still these Republican uh, freshmen and so forth. They're still acting as though they're, 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 um, uh, creatures of this older school of politics with zero responsibility. Like, no one is going to check. And, I mean, it, it's to Santos's credit, uh, he got pretty far, but it's kind of, it's going to catch up with him. Oh, he, he's in Congress now. He is a congressman. And, uh, if he gets away with this, uh, think about the message that sends to future, uh, corrupted people. You know, you can get away with it. You just have to get past a certain point. And then, you know, nothing will happen to you. No, things do happen. Because when you lose the the public's faith in the the kinds of leaders you are and the institutions, there are reactions. And sometimes they're ugly. Mm -hmm. So if if you think you're safe by lying and, and getting caught and you can just, you know, somehow make it through and and something 
you know, might not occur, you know, because you uh, are, are um, uh, infallible or untouchable, so to speak, you're going to be sorely surprised. Um, the, the, the level of upset and people's uh, dissatisfaction throughout history mm-hmm. in bureaucracies and in institutions. I mean, we nearly saw it uh, January 6th a couple of years ago. You know, it's, it is not safe to be that corrupt. I'd like to agree with that. The um, thing is, if this guy is running against a Democrat somehow, if he, if he makes it through his primary and nobody challenges him, they're going to support him. They're, they would prefer somebody who is a corrupt liar to anyone who's a Democrat. That's, that's the reality right now. Well, I'm sure Steve Scalise would have some insight about that. No. Oh, oh. Don't, don't invoke that name unless you're ready for the consequences. Um, but, okay, if I can say a good thing about Santos... He did condemn the uh, uh, the um, uh, congressional stormers, you know, which is what most Republicans did not do that, you know. But he did. He was he he was out there. He said, "No, this is wrong." No, not 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 the ones in D.C. The ones in Brazil. Yeah, he condemned them right away. And um, it's kind of funny because he's wanted in Brazil. He's wanted in Brazil for for fraud. Yeah, <laughs> and, and soon he'll be wanted here for fraud as well, I guess. But um, I just thought it was kind of kind of cute how uh, he's out there saying, "Oh yeah, this is wrong, uh, Brazil. You have to be more democratic than that." And um, you don't know where I am. You don't know who I am. I'm not wanted there. I'm a congressman now. Leave me alone. Um, but yeah, there was uh, oh boy, there was a storming of um, of Congress in um, uh, Brazil. Uh, <laughs> Bolsonaro's people. We kind of we're afraid something like this might happen. Difference. The difference between um, what happened in, um, in Washington, D.C. two years ago and what happened in Brazil two days ago, uh, apart from <laughs> just basically being separated by two days on the calendar, one was January 6th, one was January 8th, um, the difference is that the new president had already been inaugurated when this happened. Back in D.C., Trump was still president. And that made a big difference because, if you recall, Trump didn't lift a finger to stop it. And he could have. He could have done a lot. Whereas Lula, who is currently the president in, in Brazil, was able to call out the uh, equivalent of the National Guard and uh, put an end to it and arrest a lot of people that were basically vandalizing uh, the buildings and, and, and doing all kinds of, of horrible things. But it's 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 the same playbook. It's almost written exactly the same. You know, fraudulent election, fake news. Uh, that our guy won, even though he had less numbers. It's 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 the exact same thing. And where is Bolsonaro? Where is the deposed president in Florida? Where Trump happens to be? Where DeSantis happens to be? Where 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 Matt Gates happens to be? It's 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 becoming a safe haven for election deniers of all sorts. They're not as safe as they think. Well, I'd like to think that. I'd like to believe that. But Florida, you gotta, you got to prove me wrong on this. I mean, what, what are you turning into? My goodness. It's really, really uh, undemocratic, un-American, traitorous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, has, has Straight up traitorous. Has Trump said anything about the, uh, the Brazil? Who cares? Well, I care. I'm asking a question. I'd, I'd like to know if he did. I haven't heard anything in the media. Uh, so if he did, um, he, he needs to speak louder. But I haven't heard anything. I don't think he, uh, don't think he cares. Don't think he cares about that at all. Not at all. Yeah, uh, I understand Steve Bannon actually was supporting it. So um, 
it's disgusting. It really is. And it's um, it's yet more evidence that um, um, democracy is always in danger. And, you know, it's not over yet because the army in Brazil could easily just turn around and say, yeah, you know what? We're with Bolsonaro now. I hope that doesn't happen. I don't think it will happen, but it could happen. Yeah, there's a real affinity. I was hearing um, some stuff on CBC radio today about that, and um, the way it's characterized is there is a history of um, of the military intervening in that country. So there, um, the sort of wistfulness for the strength and um, and honor of the military, especially in um, situations where the government needs stabilization, they're actually thought of in a much different way than we might think of, like the National Guard taking over government. But it's essentially the same thing. But it it, uh, it is true that uh, there's these steps and uh, layers and slow incremental parts of this democratic thing that we do with our advanced development. And... Um, it allows a lot of people to be involved, but it takes time and it and, and has a lot of um, uh, parts and pieces that can be sub, subverted. And that, that's what we're experiencing. This is basically commercial scale, weaponized uh, um, actions, direct actions on the processes that make make this style of government possible. And it's basically, it's, it's rooted in a real cynicism for uh, Western ideals that are um, that are emerging and, and uh, flourishing in many parts of the world and in many um, realms of uh, society. But it is also, um, it's a challenge to people who can't accept that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember um, Election Day in Brazil last year, October 30th? I just remember the sense of relief of, of finding out that Bolsonaro was losing. You know, at first I saw that he was ahead. I was afraid uh, they're going to be in for, for more hell from this uh, right-wing dictator. And he does have a lot of support, just like Trump had a lot of support. Um, and continues to have a lot of support. But Lula won. And there's no question that he won. And um, far-right elements have refused to accept Bolsonaro's electoral defeat. Since his loss, they've camped outside military barracks in uh, Brasilia. Uh, which is the capital, pleading for uh, intervention to allow Bolsonaro to remain in power and oust Lula. And when no coup materialized, they rose up themselves. Yeah. According to uh, Marcelo Menezes, a 59-year-old police officer from northeastern Pernambuco state, uh, it's unacceptable what happened on Sunday. It's terrorism. I'm here in defense of democracy. I'm here in defense of the people. This is part of um, massive pro-democracy rallies that took place in support of the president, which is great to see that, to see people standing up against um, uh, forcibly taking over governments and and, and right-wing dictatorships. Cries of no amnesty were also heard uh, during Lula's January 1st inaugural address in response to the president, uh, detailing the neglect of the outgoing Bolsonaro administration. Uh, in case you don't know, Bolsonaro is a former army captain. Uh, he has waxed nostalgic for the dicta- dictatorship era, um, the old dictatorship era. I think we're entering a new one. Uh, praised a notorious torturer as a hero and said the regime should have gone further in executing communists. Uh, his government also commemorated the anniversary of Brazil's 1964 coup. So there is a history of coups and um, something to be worried about. So while um, while the right people were victorious this week, Let's hope that they continue to be victorious and, and, and show our, our support for that kind of thing. You have to speak up. You know, even if it's a different country, you have to say something. Otherwise, bad things happen. That's how I feel about Ukraine 
there is so much nonsense being sprouted both from the left and the right about uh, uh, basically um, uh, apologists for, for everything Russia does. It's disgusting. It really is disgusting. All you have to do is, is, is look at independent news reports from a variety of sources and, um, you know, the truth, I think, will, uh, will, will come floating to the surface pretty quickly. If you just listen to um, state-sponsored media, however, yeah, you're going to get propaganda. And that's true of any side, obviously. But um, in this particular case, if you just listen to um, uh, uh, Russia Today, they're still around, uh, or other um, uh, pro-Russia media outlets, you're not going to get the truth. You're not going to get the truth. And if you listen to just Ukrainian outlets... You're going to get some exaggeration on that end as well. But you know what? They're, they're the underdog here. Uh, so it's, 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 um, it's less dangerous, I think, because Russia basically has a lot of power and um, they're causing so much damage, so much harm. Yeah, the Ukrainian, Ukrainian um, media and the ways they're characterizing things can appear very hyper, hyperbolic and, and, as you said, a little bit exaggerated. But... The point is, there are very real consequences if they don't correct things. Mm -hmm. If they let things stand and they don't have solidarity and cohesion of their message across the populace, uh, it, you cannot, in this martial, like, wartime moment in a country, um, open things up to, cont you know, contentious debate if um, it is the kind of thing that is that is going to question the prerogative of the very survival of the nation itself. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, you know, if somehow um, that kind of messaging is allowed to flourish in ways that um, that undermines the survival of, of their country, they will actually succumb to the aggressive invaders, in this case, Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, they're basically going, they would be transformed and that would, that would actually, that would have a, a concrete impact on their populace. E.g., they would lose a lot of people, um, and as they'd be overrun and, uh, and, and, you know, things installed and, and, and basically annexed. That's, that's exactly what they're fighting against. So, can you please, like, have a little well, sympathy for the, uh, the messaging they have to do? They have to do that stuff. They have to make sure it's things. It's really, you know, it, it's, it's so obvious when you look at the facts. Uh, Ukraine didn't invade Russia. Russia invaded Ukraine. So, there's that. Right there, there's that. Um, it's kind of hard to say that a little tiny country uh, compared to Russia is posing a threat. Uh, Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons. They don't have any. Russia has, has, has nukes, hypersonic weapons, all sorts of things. Uh, and uh, it's, it's obvious that who the underdog is and who has a, a lot of power of, of intimidation. Um, and the very fact that Ukraine has been able to survive is a miracle. And it's also uh, a testament to the support that they've gotten from around the world. Now, I know a lot of people uh, condemn uh, U.S. foreign policy, and that's fine. Condemn U.S. foreign policy. Condemn the CIA. Condemn all of that. But don't mix up the fact that uh, this country is, is uh, being attacked by a superpower with United States um, uh, endeavors. Uh, you can separate the two. You can say, yes, I support Ukraine. I don't support the CIA going into Ukraine and, and taking over the government, but that's not, uh, we're not at that point, at least not yet. I hope we never get to that point. And I think, you know, if, um, if the Ukrainian uh, people can, can fight back against Russia, they can fight back against any uh, other attempt to subvert their, their uh, regime, their, their, their uh, culture. 
Yeah, and it's unanimity, uh, unanimity of purpose in advanced societies and the Western, so-called Western world and, and uh, sphere of friendly nations. And, uh, you know, in history, it's been NATO, you know, that was established in, in, um, in a wartime and there are um, economic relationships. In mm-hmm. fact, today the president was uh, working on Mexico, Canadian and, and U.S. relations, economic um, trade. And uh, so-called friendshoring, which is uh, Janet Yellen's term. Friendshoring. Yeah, but basically where you're increasing economic and supply chain activity with friendly partner nations in your spheres, and that's going on all over the world. We had a much more integrated global economy that was great for profits and low prices and all of that. That's not the case anymore. Things are changing rapidly. And you mentioned, yeah, like, uh, you know, various... uh, outlets in Russia, good luck finding them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're still at a crossroads uh, with what was Russia and what Russia will be. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, you know, getting things to Russia, getting things out of Russia to these uh, friendly nations, um, not as easy as it was. So uh, information, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the uh, Dutch... Uh, government issued a broadcast license for uh, one of the Russian independent news networks. That's good. We need to hear what they're right. saying. We need and, to hear and, the, and the Russian people need to hear what they're saying. They they absolutely do. Nobody's more important in this than the Russian people, who I have you know a lot of faith that they will do the right thing in the end. Seriously, what it comes down to, and I think the beginning of what you were saying is most crucial. It's that the um, the the alliance of nations outside of these these um, spheres are are keen to double down on the reasons they work and trade with these other countries, and they need to demonstrate mm-hmm. to other nations that might be considering the same path as Russia in this context, and understand very, very in a very sober way the the consequences of um, structuring your your uh, government around that. And I think what you saw in Brazil was an attempt again to do it internally. Through um, the sort of playbook that, that uh, Bannon and those uh, creatures have have come up with, but I don't think I don't think it has worked as broadly and as effectively as they think. It's failed twice now. I think. I, I mean, if you're keeping score, I don't know. Maybe there's a couple of nations before that that they tested with, but the uh, the uh, activities of other people and other governments and that unanimity of purpose mm-hmm. are are doubling, tripling, quadrupling down faster, accelerating than all of these little, little like, uh, um, uh, homebrew experiments they want to try in different nations. But it's important to make sure that nations that this is tried against succeed, right. even our own, because the more um, places that fall under this, this far-right control, this sphere of, um, of authoritarian rule and, and uh, d- uh, descending and... Uh, diminishing human rights, that kind of stuff is, um, it, it will um, multiply if it's allowed to. So, for instance, Brazil would have an outsized influence in this North American, um, uh, in proximity to North America, and of course they would be able to throw a lot of weight around in South America and Central America, a place that we are keenly aware of with all the border talk and concerns about uh, Mexico and so forth. And and if we're not trading with other large trading partners right now, we need to get better oriented with the the central and southern uh, parts of our our uh, sphere 
so to speak, and, and as well as nations in Europe. So, I mean, there's a lot at play and a lot that is changing, and I think it's just important for people to make sure that they're, they're able to, to continue to have a say and that these forms of government that are so fragile are not uh, short-circuited and hijacked. Yeah, my only um, um, words on this basically are that the people matter. People power, I think, is the most important thing. And uh, if you're a Republican, don't oppose um, uh, helping Ukraine because Biden supports it. That's that's not wise. It's basically uh, working against uh, democracy just because uh, your political opponent is for it. And to people on the left, uh, you know, newsflash, Russia is, is no longer a leftist country. They are a right-wing country. Uh, Putin is a dictator. Uh, don't know why so many people on the left are, are being an apologist for, uh, for Putin. It, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, basically, uh, uh, you know, look at the facts of what's happening on the ground in the country that is being invaded and um, start by supporting those people. Now, we can debate how best to support them, but in no way should we be supporting anything that invading forces are doing. That that should be right there, number one, uh, what we all agree upon. Other thing to remember, we're almost a third of the way through winter, okay? And when we get through that winter, when everybody gets through the winter and uh, have survived without Russian energy like, like we've had in the past... I think that'll be a shot in the arm. I think people will realize, hey, we don't need them. We can do this. And every single day that um, those sanctions and the uh, types of difficulties getting things and and so forth in and out of of that part of the world, um, the better. The better for free peoples. And um, it's it's really, it's it's not something to uh, lose our focus on. Um, we we're um, in in a incredibly uh, a fragile but but a, a, a tense moment mm-hmm. historically, and um, I think it's it's um, it's going to be better uh, the more we realize and appreciate how much of our old ways of thinking are no longer applicable. The fears of of um, of of this great uh, uh, power in Russia. They're not the same now. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're we're pragmatic and realistic, but uh, there's there's not very much to be afraid of in in light of how unified so many parts of the the uh, friendly parts of the world, so to speak, in in this sphere of influence um, are, and 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 they're um, committed to one another and uh, and and, and a, a future that does not allow this feel free to write to us here at off the wall otw at 2600.com with your feelings of outrage or uh disagreement or agreement or uh, you know support whatever uh, i'd like to hear what what um what other people think as well yeah and i, I just think like people left this you know whatever the critique is i feel like it's mostly some pet issue that the u.s had some involvement in some specific thing somewhere in your brain and that makes you know on anything <laughs> and i'm sorry you're not really thinking deeply, I think. It is, it is unfortunate to get hung up and stuck on one aspect of history or one particular pet issue that you have and basically rationalize uh, being against 
the Western world, your own country, um, and, and, and the people that are against this form of aggression because you have a, a disagreement about how something went in history. Well, I mean, you know, there are certainly ra- uh, rational and, and, and logical reasons to be opposed to uh, something, uh, you know, a government or an agency or, or a person, uh, but it doesn't mean that everything that they conclude is going to be wrong. We see the same thing with uh, anti-vaxxers uh, who uh, accuse us of working for the uh, big pharma uh, companies <laughs> because we support vaccines. Look, you can you can support vaccines and also be opposed to big pharma. <laughs> it doesn't mean that because you're both coming on uh, you know, on the same side of that particular issue that you agree on everything or you're supporting each other. Uh, it's uh, it's very simplistic. Um, you mentioned uh, Mexico. Biden visited Mexico. He's been accused of not visiting Mexico. So now the Republicans have to come up with something else to accuse him of. Um, any any thoughts of what that might be? I think uh, basically he um, they're going to say he didn't do it right. Uh, he 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 didn't stay long enough. He he didn't um, uh, he he didn't go soon enough. Um, Hunter Biden. Uh, and um, what else? What else could they say? Um, where's the wall? I don't know. They're, they're going to come up with something. But the, the mantra has been that he has not been to the border, and now he's been to the border. And and, and the ironic thing is that um, he's being accused by um, other people of being too hard on on, on migrants and, and being too unwelcoming. So which is it, people? Are the borders wide open or are the borders sealed shut? You know, depending on who you talk to, it's a different version. So you can't just believe whatever you're, you're hearing from one particular side. Investigate both sides and see what, uh, what's going on. Now, the story about um, uh, classified material being found at his former office, that's what everybody's talking about now. I'm glad this happened. I really am, because it shows the contrast. It shows the difference. Now, you know, the, the simplistic types are saying, it's exactly the same. No, it's not exactly the same. And I'll, I'll give you some very specific um, uh, reasons why it's not exactly the same. Um, basically, um, uh, I'm going to quote from the New York Times here. Uh, while, um, uh, of course, Donald Trump is trying to uh, suggest this is exactly the same thing, the circumstances of the Biden discovery, as described, appear to be significantly different. Mr. Biden had neither been notified that he had official records nor been asked to return them. Uh, and uh, his team promptly revealed the discovery to the archives and returned them within a day. It, was it a screw-up? Yes, absolutely. Big screw-up. No question about that. But how they act upon that being revealed, that is the difference. The documents were not the subject of any previous request or inquiry by the archives, said Richard Sauber, the special White House counsel. Since that discovery, the president's personal attorneys have cooperated with the archives and the Department of Justice in the process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administration documents are appropriately in the possession of the archives. By contrast, you might remember all the way back to 2021, uh, the archives repeatedly asked Donald Trump to turn over large numbers of documents it had determined were missing. He put the agency off for months, then allowed it to retrieve 15 boxes of material in early 2022, including scores of classified documents, but it was later discovered that he kept more. (laughs) Uh, And eventually the Justice Department obtained a grand jury subpoena for documents with classification markings remaining in Trump's possession, and a lawyer for Trump turned over several more and told the department there were none left. But an August search by the FBI found 103 more marked as classified, along with thousands of other official records. 
Uh, it goes on, but that's the difference. Okay, yeah, he had uh, documents he shouldn't have had in that particular location. Upon discovering that, they did the right thing. All right, so before saying it's exactly the same thing, do a little bit of investigation and realize that's completely different. It's like if he had a, like a former job and he like went home with the keys or something. Yeah, it happens. Okay, I guess. It's, it's more serious than that. But it shouldn't happen, but it did. And they um, self-reported what they found. They did it the right way. They relinquished the stuff. It was also kept in a locked office, not uh, you know downstairs in a club, <laughs> you know, which is where where uh, uh, Trump's records were were stored. It's it's just it's 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 comical. Uh, okay, what else do we have to cover? Oh, a six-year-old shot a teacher in Virginia. You know what? We don't really have time to get into this. I'm just going to say. Um, Folks, you voted for this. This is exactly what you voted for. Six-year-olds shooting teachers. Yeah, maybe it wasn't written down that way, but when uh, you basically keep putting people in office that allow guns everywhere and, and, and uh, vote down any kind of safety measure or, or licensing restrictions or background checks, what do you think is going to happen People who aren't supposed to get their hands on guns are going to get their hands on guns. Now, does that particularly apply to this case? Not really, because what happened here is a six-year-old took the legally bought gun from his mom, who for some reason is not being named. Why is that? Is she a cop or something? You know, I mean, these parents are responsible, 100%. Irresponsible. But they're responsible for what happened. And that has to be the rule everywhere. If your kid goes out and uses your gun, you're responsible because you didn't keep it secure. And if you're saying, oh, I don't know, he's going to get into it no matter what, then you either shouldn't have a kid or you shouldn't have a gun. Make your damn choice. And you can make that choice in prison after, after something bad happens. No exceptions. Absolutely no exceptions. Anybody saying differently where's your mind? I mean, what, what exactly... You can't charge a six-year-old as an adult. How do you talk down a six-year-old that's holding a gun on I, you? You know, basically, it was... it was um, A uh, trade juice box or something? How did they describe it? It was a, a, a disagreement. It was some kind of an argument. Uh, have you argued with a six-year-old? Uh, I try to avoid that. Well, I, I imagine a six-year-old with a gun, you know? <laughs> a six-year-old who's packing. That's, that is something I can't even conceive of. Yet that is reality in Virginia. And, and looking at the news stories, it's happened before. You know, a six-year-old killed another kid with a, with a gun. Are you kidding? They would probably vote for it to go the other way and have the teacher kill the six-year-old because that's what they want in the school. I don't think that there aren't people saying, you know, if the, if the teacher had had a gun, she could have shot the kid before the kid shot her. Clap back. Oh, my God. I mean, we are sick. This is a sick society. And all of it, all of it is because of the proliferation of guns. You can say, oh, I have to have a gun to protect myself against the other person who had a gun. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the stupidity of people who allow that first person to easily get their hands on a gun that makes you think it's necessary for you to have one, too, to protect yourself against them. Where does this end? It just keeps ballooning out of control. My God. We're... If you go back before the Reagan era... When the Second Amendment was interpreted in a rational way, it wasn't everybody can get whatever they want and, 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 well, and arm yourself as, as if you were an army. Then at least you had some semblance of sanity. We are so far past that now, and it's going to be hard to get back to that point if it's even possible. Yeah, and there wasn't as uh, large a selection of, of military-style weapons out there. There wasn't uh, generations that have been using them on brown people in the Mideast for, you know, decades. It's, it's, 
it is a, a, its own f- a festering sickness that mm-hmm. uh, we really, really cannot continue with uh, in, in the ways and at the levels that, that we're um, uh, dealing with. Apparently, this teacher, luckily, um, uh, was able to make it to the principal's office while bleeding and before collapsing said, call the police mm-hmm. to, like, the receptionist or someone in the office. <laughs> so she had to say that, crawling in, bleeding? Yeah, and then collapsed <laughs> in front of them. Uh, not, I not think fun. that was part uh, of the story. Yeah, but, I mean, well, she, well, the, the real story is that she warned other kids to, to, uh, to run away to get to, you know. But, my God, the, the six-year-old, how does somebody have that kind of a mindset? In our society, they easily can have that kind of a mindset. And we have to look at that. This is not some uh, some oddity. This is not something that oh, it's never going to happen again. This is going to be the norm. You know, I was I was um, uh, reading a quote from a fifth grader because they get quoted now, uh, and um, and this kid was saying, "Yeah, this was my first lockdown. I was so scared. My first lockdown. What a thing for a fifth grader to have to even say. You know, I've never had a lockdown. I'm lucky, but you know, when I was a kid, we wouldn't have known the meaning of that word." The closest thing we had in uh, elementary, I think, was like if I, an unknown adult was on campus, they would say that, you know. I think we got locked in like once because somebody somebody forgot the key. I, but yeah. <laughs> that, that was uh, the extent of it. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's um, information we wish wasn't out there, you know. Information society, you get good and bad information. And, and then you get, you know, uh, generations coming up thinking it's okay. I mean, what is that six-year-old's? perspective on guns or how about all the six-year-olds that didn't get in trouble and didn't do that but are around guns and think they're um you know something you know eh, that should be treated lightly or not you know not with uh, uh, a little bit more reverence look this no matter what your perspective it's really really hard to fathom that the founding fathers were thinking of something like this you know, it was a completely different world. They didn't even have bullets. They had muskets and, and, you know, very crude forms of firing weapons. Nothing like this. Believe me, they would not write the Second Amendment the way that they... And even if you look at the way it's written, it still can be interpreted in a completely different way. The fact that the Supreme Court chooses not to interpret it that way, that's just sad. The thing is, I do think there's common ground that can be reached where people can can still um, uh, have uh, legitimate access to weapons, but just not insane access to artillery and 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 um, uh, weapons caches and all sorts of bad things that are always used in bad ways. We come together on that, then we can start building something, you know, that can tackle all the illegal weapons that are left, and uh, you know, maybe we can be more like Australia, or maybe we can be more like uh, Canada. Or maybe more like England or Japan. I think it breeds a lot of conformity. And, um, you know, like, the the idea that you could have some kind of political debate or, like, a conversation or, or dare I say, a disagreement with someone who's armed and you aren't is, I think, laughable. Yeah. Because I, I know people that, that have concealed per- weapons permits. And where I've ended up as an adult with them is, you know, I choose not not to participate. Mm-hmm. It's not something I want in my life. And, um, you know, I, I go back and forth. And when when I'm talking to someone who's armed and they're telling me, it, uh-huh. sometimes the conversation isn't about just guns. If it's, let's say it's not, 
it's still hard to disagree with them because you know they're armed. And if they, they get mad, what am I going to do? Here's an exercise for the list. No, I, I don't do this. But, but this is just how you know uh, what we're talking about here. Go to somebody that is armed legally, you know, has a concealed carry permit, and insult the crap out of their mother. Yeah, see and tell me you feel safe. Tell me, yeah, that's going to end well. You know, and and uh, maybe maybe so, it will. It probably but, it probably will, but they still have a gun, and <laughs> you've just insulted their mom. Um, it's it, it it will make a polite society. No, it'll make a scared society. And what is happening then to speech? Mm-hmm. The First Amendment. Okay. Right. So I'm in public spaces. I'm in the world trying to have and hold opinions that other people don't agree with. If I'm self-censoring because I don't want to be at the effect of someone's irrational choice to end a conversation with a weapon, mm-hmm. um, I am not going to act and operate freely. Mm-hmm. So I think um, this culture is the antithesis of freedom, and it's pushing people apart. And uh, I, I really um, I mourn for relationships and for conversations that I'm not having because I can't disagree with people. I think what we can agree on, and we have to end it on this, um, this is not acceptable. Society right now, with the level of guns out there, it's not acceptable. Nobody wants that. There's too many guns out. Can we all agree on that? There's too many damn guns out there. And if we, uh, you know, if we didn't have as many, then there wouldn't be a need to carry more to protect yourself against people that had the first batch. <laughs> you know, so maybe at least agree on that. That um, yeah, too many people. Have guns. There's too many guns out there. Let's work on getting less of them out there and keep going down that road. And once we've gone down that road a spell, let's see what the next step could be. You know, and, and uh, it's, it's not about uh, taking away anyone's rights or, or hobbies or things like that. It's about being safe. It's about having a situation where uh, people aren't living in fear of either illegal weapons or legal weapons. Because honestly, not much of a difference once it's fired. And this particular case, legal weapon. So, anyway, um, a couple of local items before we uh, sign off for tonight. Did you know that a Black Lives Matter sign right here in Stony Brook was uh, ripped down? Uh, it's repeatedly targeted at a um, a church. It's um, in Stony Brook, I believe, the uh, Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. Uh, it's going to be uh, flying again. But here's the weird thing: this story hit the media uh, last week. It happened in October. For some reason, the Suffolk County Police only revealed information and a picture of some motorcyclist ripping it down, saying, can you find this person? Well, no, we can't find the person now. It's been two months. They could be anywhere. Why did you wait so long to share this information? The guy's been to Sturgis and back. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I hope and pray we can have a dialogue with the people that are so reactive to this, and I'd like us to build a community where everyone feels safe, said the Reverend. Uh, Reverend uh, Madeline uh, Campbell, an interim minister, uh, the commitment by this church and the entire domination to anti-racism work, she said, led the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship at Stony Brook to consistently convey that banner's message, though it has been vandalized a number of times since it was first flown in 2016. Um, yeah, uh, anyone who has tips on who might have uh, ripped it down can call 800-220-TIPS. Um, or you can use a mobile app that can be downloaded through the App Store or Google Play by searching P3 Tips 
online at www.p3tips.com. All contacts will remain confidential. Um, and one other final thing about Brookhaven. You know, um, we've been talking about dispensaries in the last few weeks. I just wanted to, once again, go over the restrictions here in Brookhaven. Uh, because I'm not sure there's any places where a dispensary can actually be. It can't be within 500 feet of homes, and it can't be within 1,000 feet. And 1,000 feet, by the way, that's uh, that's like three football fields, I believe. Is that, is that right? Um, 1,000 feet of um, of schools, houses of worships, houses of worship, that is. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the concern is there, that people are going to go to church and then get high, or people are going to get high and then go to church. I don't know. Hospitals. Can you tell the difference? Hospitals, libraries. Why libraries? Why? Uh, parks, playgrounds. Yeah, toddlers are going to go and, and into a dispensary where you have to show proof of age. No, come on. It doesn't make any sense. Gyms, dance. Why are dance studios included in this? Uh, or similar public or semi-public place of general congregation. Uh, but bars are okay to be right next door to any of them. I think they need to make some some uh, uh, amendments that allow places for you to consume in public instead of all the places you can't. Cannabis dispensaries must be at least one mile apart from each other, uh, and um, uh, cannabis smoking rooms and retail stores cannot be in downtown business districts. Look, it's great that it's being allowed at all in Brookhaven, unlike many towns on Long Island, but these restrictions are insane. I honestly can't think of a single place that's a thousand feet away from any school or dance studio or 500 feet away from any home. I'm sure there are a few places, you know, landfills or something like that, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Folks, we're out of time. Um, write to us otw at 2600.com with your thoughts and, and feelings. And uh, have a lovely evening. Stay tuned for Finn.
Everybody got to be yourself, no matter where you go. 